Thank you for listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Today's pre-recorded sermon and welcome by Sister Michelle is brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. If you don't mind going with me to Philippians chapter 3, and I'll begin at verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know Him, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There are two kingdoms. The one that we know so well, which is the kingdom of self. And then there's the kingdom of Jesus that few know. But let's look at what this kingdom of self looks like. So Paul says that whatever were gains to me, meaning the things that we've so acquired, the things that give us some kind of a return, whether financially, maybe the job, whatever benefit we can get, Emotionally, or relationship, or some kind of return socially, something that we've nurtured and cultured and cultivated, that in our personal lives we're we are established, we're someone. We've gotten recognition. All the things that we somehow bring together in our basket that we can pull out to access those things that we need. These are the kind of things that Paul says when he looks at them and he sees that a man or a woman, a boy or girl, can begin to accumulate all these things and build one's kingdom up. But then as we walk through this life, we begin to realize that there's something more, that there's another kingdom, much greater than the kingdom we thought we were establishing. We begin to see that there is a kingdom that's real, that's tangible, that has value. Paul says, whatever were gains to me, the things that I thought I was getting a return on, those things I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Many of us, we've sometimes had cars, houses, where things begin to happen 
this begins to go bad and we have to pull out our wallet or purses and we begin to spend to repair this and to repair that. And then we get to a point where we say, boy, I thought I got a good deal in buying this car. But I didn't realize that it wasn't going to take me through however long I envisioned. Or the house. We saw it in the market. And it looked good. We visited, walked through the rooms. But then as we begin living inside, going through the different seasons, the snow, the rain, we see that there are holes in the roof. Furnace doesn't work as well as we thought it did. And they become such, such a liability to us. That's what Paul says. When we have our kingdom of ourself, and we've invested so much into this kingdom of self, money, time, energy, and there's nothing of lasting value in that. They rob us. We expend so much, but yet they don't satisfy our souls. And Paul says that there's, there's a better kingdom. That there's someone that we ought to be pressing forward to. And that person is Jesus. His name is Jesus. A few days ago, I, I started a course. I signed up for an outdoor activity. I didn't know what I was getting into. So this is zip lining. And so I started the very low, lowest course and I got onto the platform. And as I, as I looked at how the wires were, the gaps between, you know, the spaces to, you know, to walk along, I said, boy, wow, I think I want to turn back. I couldn't go back. And I said, no, you've got to go forward. So I don't know right now if any of you are in that place where you're like, well, I've signed my name on that line to say, Lord, I don't want my kingdom. I want you. And you're walking through life, and you're somewhere, and you're saying, wow, this looks so hard. I don't think I can make it through. I want to go back. I just encourage you today that there's no worth in going back to a kingdom of self. It's just a bad deal. And it's going to cost you. You've got to move forward. Move forward into Jesus. He is the goal. And you know what? I can't walk this walk by myself. I need you guys. And you can't walk it by yourself because you need me and you need us all. Because as I was walking on that line, there were these little kids, 13 years old. And I said, boy, I'm in my 30s. I need them. I needed their encouragement. And I needed to hear how Megan got across. I knew that when I focused, when I didn't look at how high I was, or how the lines were just dangling in midair. So you don't need to look on all the bad things that's happening right now. You don't need to focus on the pain. You don't need to focus on all that the devil is doing and all that he's saying. 
You would just keep your eyes in Jesus and in his kingdom. Press forward. Press forward. And let him receive you and invite you in. Because you want to know him today. You want to know Jesus, and I want to know Jesus. I don't want to just read about him. I want to know him. So as you press through trials of today, tomorrow, and the rest of your days, make a conscious decision and cry out and say, Lord, I need to know you. And this is where I am, and I can't do it alone. And I'm going to trust you one step at a time until you get me over on the other side. Until the sins are broken off from my life. Until the crucifixion is done. There is a light on the other side. And I must tell you, I did finish my course. And I finished it together with those two young gals. So we can finish this course together, but just trust Jesus. Don't give up. Keep your eye on him. Welcome to God's house today. And we welcome today Kwashi back from his travels. And Kwashi, we want to see you more. The message today is entitled, The Atmosphere of Your Soul. The Atmosphere of Your Soul. Let's pray. Lord, would you quicken now an understanding of your word and of the cause and effect relationship between what we choose to do and what you choose to do, and what the devil chooses to do. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. God votes one way. The devil votes another way. And you get to be the tiebreaker. We live in a day very unlike the day when I was raised. When I was born as a child, Howdy Doody was on television. <laughs> and it was just foolishness, but it was not wicked. The cartoons were funny. They were not wicked. They did not promote uncleanness. The general atmosphere of the community was that people went to church. Most people, when I grew up, were Christians, at least in the culture of the church. All you had to do was put out a sign pancake breakfast this Sunday morning and the church would be jammed. Everybody would come for pancakes and eggs and then they'd head out to their church. There was an atmosphere in America of righteousness. De Tocqueville, the famous Frenchman who came to study America, to ask the question, why is America so different than France? You understand we both had a revolution. Why did the American Revolution not take the same path as the French Revolution? Historians have struggled with this. The French Revolution had no godly background. In America, godly men had been proclaiming the gospel. And we 
see in history that the American church under the third great awakening was totally transformed. So the people who led the revolution in America were church pastors and their elders. The Minutemen were elders of a local Baptist church and the pastor led them. They fired the first shots. So there was a dramatic difference between the French Revolution and the American Revolution. And de Torqueville wanted to know why. And so he came to study to see what is the secret of America's greatness. His conclusion was that America is great because America is good. And he said the pulpits of America flamed with righteousness. That's no longer the case. The atmosphere of America has been utterly polluted, utterly compromised. How could I have ever guessed as a child that witchcraft would come back into the American culture. Headlines this week with a picture of the devil, the goat god, saying America is being flooded with the occult, with satanic powers. Well, how'd that happen? Whoever imagined that America would come to a point where the president of our nation would say your gender no longer matters. We're not going to differentiate between men and women. We're going to have our military crew on our ships in the Navy. Men and women showering together, dressing in the same room together. Aboard a submarine, no separation between men and women. And that gender doesn't matter, so we should change the signs on our bathroom to say, men or women, you're welcome to go in. That's the new decree of our president. Whoever imagined that sodomy would be a protected under the law activity in America? When I was a kid, you went to jail for sodomy. When I was a young man, an X-rated movie was basically unheard of, and they did not show R-rated movies on television. In my day growing up, in fact, we were taught, you don't even go to the theater because it's wicked. What's happened to America? Well, let's talk for a minute about the atmosphere of our souls. Satan has put forth many bait traps. And if you choose to take the bait, <coughs> pardon me, it will seem innocent. Maybe two clicks on your computer and you can be in raw pornography. You can go to the store and buy any ungodly thing you want to buy. Hampton Roads, Virginia, once a part of the Bible Belt, is now being talked about in mainstream news because the swingers parties are coming into Hampton Roads. $600 to go to one. What's happened? The bait's been put out. 
And increasingly that bait has been spread in every direction. Now in my house, in my garage, thank you. In my garage, I began to notice every time I'd go in, I'd see a mouse run. So I went and got this purple food and opened a tray for the mice. Well, soon my garage stunk horribly because these mice died in behind the boxes. I decided I'd leave the bait trap out. And pretty soon I began to see droppings all around it. And then I began to find the dead salamanders and lizards that were feasting on the bait. The bait was meant for mice, not for lizards. I enjoyed the little guys, as long as they stayed outside, right? But they decided they liked the bait. So they've all been cleaned out. I don't see any around the house anymore. The bait's out. Maybe it wasn't even meant for you, but something happened in your heart and you said, I'll go get it. I mean, I, I talked about this earlier. Ashley Banfield is on CNN News. She's very pretty. She's easy to look at. She's very intelligent. She's very articulate. But I notice over a period of time that every time I would be somewhere and she would be on and I would watch, she would always take the side of darkness. She never took the side of light. She was always a part of the destruction of the American civil public. Well, let's talk very specifically for a minute. There is an atmosphere that can be created in a soul or in a nation that is fertile breeding ground for evil or for righteousness. And the fertile ground is what we create. We make the choice. And we make the choice over and over and over until it becomes natural. It becomes second nature for us. And so because it becomes second nature for us, we become established in that relationship with darkness, with evil. So it is the natural response so what creates an atmosphere condu conducive to evil? Pride? I'll read you the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. This is Galatians, the fifth chapter. Galatians 5, verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Verse 20, idolatry. What is idolatry? Putting things first, putting work first before Jesus. That's idolatry. Putting our wife or our husband or our children ahead of Jesus. That's idolatry. Witchcraft. Isn't it interesting what happened when Harry Potter came out? There was such a, an arousal against Harry Potter among some Christians. Now I don't hear a word. The next book comes out and there's no comment. It's a part of our culture now. And I don't know if you've read Harry Potter's story. I've read all of the books. 
I wanted to be able to know what they were saying so I could talk intelligently about them. I don't want to talk about something I haven't firsthand witnessed. They are, without a doubt, the best explanation and seduction for children to enter into witchcraft of anything I've ever seen. Now you think, well, so what? Until you have a little gal, a teenager, who's ready to commit suicide. And then you begin to talk with her and discover on her arms that she's cutting herself and bleeding. Because when she bleeds herself, the pain of her heart goes away. And so there are slash marks on her arms and on her legs, under her pants or her skirt. And you take her into your home because her parents can't help her. Her father abused her sexually. She hates her dad. So you take this beautiful young woman who calls and says, if you don't come and meet me, Pastor, at the McDonald's close to my house, I'm going to commit suicide. I'm done living. So my wife and I rush to that McDonald's. We pick her up. We see the slash marks on her arms. We take her home. We begin to minister to her. We pour out love for her. We notice she's gone for quite a while. So Jan goes to find her. And we find her sitting in the bedroom, the spare bedroom, on the floor, stripped naked, with a pentagram on the carpet around her with candles. And she's praying to the demons. And the demonic force is so powerful, you wonder how do we even begin to cope with this? Now how did this little girl open her soul to that kind of destruction. And I'm telling you, she's not the exception. It's happening everywhere in America. And now it's drugs. Maybe drugs will help. Always it's drugs, it's sex, it's uncleanness, it's desperation. Then it goes to insanity. It goes to suicide. I mean, yesterday, a man, 26, I think, I'm not sure, goes to the zoo, strips his clothes off, and jumps into the lion cage, and leaves a suicide note behind. Life wasn't worth living. I mean, if you want to commit suicide, I can think of lots of easier ways to do it than being eaten by lions. They ended up having to shoot and kill two of the cats. And the third one, they were able to tranquilize. And this man is in desperate condition in the hospital. They don't know if he'll live or die. A man has to be insane to do that. Insanity is brought by sin. It is the atmosphere of the soul that we begin to create in our hearts and in our families that open the door to every kind of uncleanness. Do you realize every time in the New Testament a demon power is spoken about, it is called unclean. Well, what is unclean? These things I'm calling out. Sexual immorality, pornography, fornication, lust of the heart, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. Did you know if you feel hate in your soul and you hold on to that, it'll become a bitter root. And that bitter root will create an atmosphere in your heart that will welcome the devil to come in and make with you a covenant of death. 
And if any of you have had to struggle to cast out a bitter spirit, you know how seductive it is. Discord, always arguing for your right, always arguing and defending yourself, creates an atmosphere where the devil can come in and once he gets in in one area, he can then spread like mold. You see, we live in an age when everybody does whatever they want. Where the knowledge of holiness has been utterly lost in a nation. When a nation loses its culture, it loses its freedom. Freedom only has come to the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That may sound absurd to you, but think about it for a minute. Did China have freedom? No. Did Japan? Did Shintoism bring freedom to Japan? No. Did Buddhism bring freedom to its people? No. It is only Christianity that sets a man free and sets a woman free and establishes her dignity. How would you feel, ladies, if today you had to have your whole body covered looking out through these little slots and you weren't allowed to drive and you were sexually mutilated? That's Islam. Only in Jesus Christ, let's talk history, people. Only in Jesus Christ has freedom been granted. There is no nation on the earth that has freedom that has not been touched and directed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's never been a nation like America in the history of the world. And we are losing America because of the flood of wickedness that is ripping away the Christian culture. And when that Christian culture is totally gone, we will be where Mexico is today. The drug cartels in Mexico have taken over huge portions of Mexico. We think ISIS is bad. They're mild compared to these cartel gangs in Mexico. I've been researching Mexico. Thousands upon thousands of Christian men, women, and children are being offered as blood sacrifices to the demon gods. The spirit of, of the Aztecs is rearing its head and taking over geographically in Mexico. These same cartel gangs are now infiltrating and taking charge of the drug traffic in the major cities of America like Chicago. They will soon begin to offer the same kinds of blood sacrifices in America that they are now offering in Mexico. How would you feel today if you could not walk alone because you would be kidnapped and sacrificed as a blood offering? That's happening in the major cities of Mexico. When we lose the culture produced by the Judeo-Christian ethic, America is finished. And then we must go to a police state to control in some way the inhabitants. America can only remain free if America remains good. And America is not remaining good. So you create in your own soul 
the jealousy, the fits of rage, the selfish ambition, the dissensions, the factions, the envy, the drunkenness, the orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the very things that we suck into our heart watching the television shows. I mean, I've never murdered a man. But I've watched thousands and thousands of murders on television and movies before the Lord said, stop it. Now, what impact has there been in my soul from the wickedness that I have watched in the hours of television? Do you understand those things are imprinted in your inner soul? And when those things are imprinted in your soul, it is easier for you to do those things. It breaks down the barriers of righteousness in your heart. Now, frankly, some of these things that I've listed, depending on who you are, may be very attractive to you. And you may not even recognize that your ambition for your own success may be a demonic plant in your heart that will cause you to harden your heart against Jesus and cause you not to be generous with your brothers or your sisters or with the Lord God in his work. Because you say, look, I've got to cover this and I've got to do this and I've got to do this. And it's all creating my ambition for how I want my life to be. And it's a demonic plant. I mean, most of us here would say, no, we're not going to practice witchcraft. But we really have a fit of rage when someone does something we don't like. The devil doesn't care how he enters into your soul. He only cares that he has an avenue that he can get in. And once in, he can spread then the mold of wickedness, of uncleanness. We can't be unconscious anymore in America. For many years, we've been able to be unconscious. Just live our lives. We can't be that way anymore. I mean, somebody has to stand up and say abortion is murder. It's wrong. And the blood of the babies will bring the judgment of God upon our nation. It will force the Holy Spirit to withdraw from this nation. It's a cause and effect relationship. Somewhere we have to stand up and say cheating and lying is wrong. And if I see you doing it, I'm going to confront you with it. I'm not going to allow you to coast along in cheating and lying and stealing. I'm going to say, stop it. There's a price. See, this cuts across us as Americans because we've been taught that we should be accepting of everybody. Really? I am an intolerant man. I am intolerant of wickedness. Because I want the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what I want. I can't have the fruit of the Spirit and walk in the sinful nature. Have you ever been at a point in your life where you just say, I quit. I've had it. I'm going to end my life. Do you understand in America, 
there is a soaring rate among middle-aged women, mothers, to commit suicide? That's not by chance. They've worked so hard. They've tried to take care of their children. They've tried to take care of their husband. They've tried to be the perfect mom. They've never been able to succeed. And finally they're saying, I give up. I'm out of here. Because they've also been drinking in all kinds of wickedness. And their husband's been cheating on them. And they've got all kinds of other issues going on. And they finally say, I can't battle this anymore. I'm done. Shouldn't the church be a place where we make a difference in the culture? Richard Niebuhr, the great theologian, wrote a book, Christ and Culture. And when I had to do my review for seminary on that book, it was familiar because in college I'd done an ethics class and I'd had to read it for the ethics class, but I hadn't, I hadn't had to write a paper on it. But in seminary I had to write the paper. Do you know what was declared this last week by a federal judge? That all of the Justice Department, Justice Department attorneys who were coming before this judge regarding Obamacare, the trial has to stop, nothing can go forward until every one of these government, I have to be careful with my words, every one of these government attorneys has taken and passed a class in legal ethics because they have been proven by this judge to have completely lied before the judge. And he doesn't want to put them all in jail for contempt of court. So he's instead making them go and take this course in legal ethics. Well, most of us would say, good on him. Well, Richard Niebuhr, talking about this whole issue of culture, raises the very important question. Is Christ for culture or is Christ against culture? I think the question is too broad. And I would have to ask the question, is Christ against godly culture? And the answer is absolutely no. Is he approving of the culture as it's going? And my professor maintained that God was very much in favor of the culture as it was and that we should participate in the culture and we should transform it by our presence. I suspect that today he would not answer that way because culture has become so evil and so wicked it has been lost in America. So my concern today is, what is the atmosphere of your soul? If you've been feasting on the things of darkness, if you've been feasting on television, if you've been feasting on the internet, if you've been gorging yourself with all of the junk foods of the world that you think you want, when you try to convince your husband to go buy Cheetos for you, Somebody accidentally this week thought they were sending their husband a text and it came to me. That was Jesus. Because when this person stands up and says, Jesus has told me I'm not to eat this anymore. And then I get the text saying, Papa, go buy me Cheetos. 
the Lord will find you out. So I just text back and said, really? Is this on your diet? No. Do you understand? Culture in our soul is created by every decision we make. There is no such thing as an innocent decision. There will be an effect in your soul for every choice you make. Righteousness is not something God comes and jams down your throat. Righteousness is what happens as the Holy Spirit speaks in our heart and says, don't do this. Don't go here. Back away from that. It's unclean. Don't touch it. And when we just go with what we feel and with what we think we want and we give way to whatever it is, we create a toxic atmosphere in our soul that is conducive to Satan planting his hook in your heart and then coming with other wicked things associated with this. Please understand, sin is not a single event or a single action. Sin is connected by a widespread net like a spider web. And once that spider web is attached in your heart and you jerk this thread, it will stir this one up and this one up and this one up. And pretty soon you start walking in all of those ways of wickedness and the toxic atmosphere of your soul continues to be poisoned until you're ready to die. You're ready to go insane. Over and over I have had people who know the way of righteousness but who've walked out of it and they've walked in darkness and when they get really honest with me they begin to say things like, you know what, I feel like I'm going insane. Well, guess what? They are. Because all uncleanness will lead us into insanity and death. So you want the atmosphere of your soul to be cleansed, to be clean, then you have to make decisions. It's called prayer. It's called a reading of scripture. It's called getting honest with God about those points of mold that are already in our soul. It means beginning to confess those things and turn aside from them. It means saying, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I reject this. I will not walk in this. I'm not going to curse you anymore. I'm not going to lust after this woman anymore. I'm not going to walk in this lust for food anymore. I'm just not going to do it. Would you remove it from my heart? I'm not going to speak with bitterness to another person. I'm not going to rage when I don't get my way. I'm not going to judge my brother and my sister. I'm going to turn aside from that. And Jesus, by your power, I turn aside. And he comes and gives us the power to turn us aside. Some of you have such toxic souls. To talk about righteousness seems like an unsurmountable mountain. You don't climb the mountain all at once. You begin to listen to the Spirit of God. He begins to say to you, stop doing that. Stop going there. Stop thinking that way. Change your heart. And as you change your heart, the blood of Jesus washes you. He's the one who brings the change. He's the one who restores you. And we're transformed by his glory. 
Welcome, guys. I'm glad you came. Good to see you. It's been a while. Thank you for coming. Yep. Yeah. It's time to get serious with Jesus. Yes. Take your hat off in the house of the Lord. Good man. Thank you. You all understand today. We make choices and decisions. And you need to begin to gauge the toxicity of your soul. I don't want you to miss this. I want you to hear me. In the prayer closet, in the presence of Jesus, you need to begin to ask the Lord about the level of toxicity in your soul. And those things that need to be changed to stop the devil's advance in your heart, you need to move quickly to stop that advance. Don't let the devil get a foothold in your heart. And let's be honest. In most of you, he has a very good, strong foothold. And that advancement has to be stopped and the mold has to be cut out. And it's only done by coming to Jesus in confession, in honest prayer, in rebuking the evil, and putting our eyes on Jesus. This is about Jesus. Lord, this is not the message I'd planned for today. But Lord, it was what you wanted. And I pray for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to come and examine our hearts in every area of mold. Would you bring deep conviction and would you bring the cleansing of your blood, Jesus? Would you set your people free? I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Oh, His glory.